Coming up on this episode of the Jeep Talk Show. This week in Jeep, Fast Lane Truck pits a Ford F-250 versus a Jeep Gladiator. Why would they do that? We'll find out. And we'll find out what FCA will be calling the new generation of electrified Jeeps. John gives us some radio com tech, takes us through an FRS and GRMS Radio 101 class. And speaking of communications, we finally announce our big Jeep Talk Show CB giveaway winner. In a Jeep life, Tammy's officially on her own. We'll find out what this means for her and the show. In Wrangler Talk, Bill covers cooling system considerations for an off-road Jeep. Nikki G shares his New Year's resolutions, and I'm sure you're not going to be prepared for this. And Mitch takes us from Connecticut to Illinois and beyond to find topless-worthy Jeep weather. All that and more on this episode of the Jeep Talk Show. You're listening to a 4x4, 4x4 Radio Network Podcast. Are you ready? It's the Jeep Talk Show with Jeep Mama. Are you sure? Josh. Yeah, I don't think so. And Tony. I think that's a huge deal. So sit back, strap in, and brace yourself. It doesn't matter if you have a Jeep, want a Jeep, or never do anything but Jeeps, this show's for you. Josh, Tammy, and myself are here to inform and entertain you while we talk about flip-flops, uh, no. Crocs, Super Crocs. <laughs> hey, I'm, uh, I'm Jeep, and this is the first Tony Talk Show of the new decade. And absolutely no Liz Dexia <laughs> on this show whatsoever. Hey, I'm Josh, and uh, the message for 2020, don't drink and wheel. Seriously. Ask me how I know that this is a good message to portray this year. <laughs> and you kids, get off my grass. Local Jeep news, national Jeep news, and news from around the world. It's This Week in Jeep. And This Week in Jeep is brought to you, well, all year for 2020 by, so far, the Jeep Talk Show. Hey, ordinarily, I love head-to-head videos. While a famous YouTube channel pits one vehicle against another similar vehicle for a head-to-head showdown in one or more particular categories. One such test, which is gaining an almost cult-like following, is the truck tug-of-war. You've undoubtedly come across a viral video or two over the years of manhood-lacking bro-dozer drivers hitching the ass end of their coal rollers to each other with a rope or something to see who's got more room in their pants. Oh, sure, they always try and make it a Ford versus Chevy thing or something like that, but those of us who don't require $80,000 in truck to prove what gender we are know what's really going on here. To that end, here's the secret of a vehicle tug-of-war that a lot of people may not know. It's all about that mass. Unless there is a significant difference in available traction, the, new, uh, the, the heavier vehicle generally wins. So, without even watching the video that came out this week from the Fastlane Trucks YouTube channel where they pit a, a new Jeep Gladiator Rubicon against a Ford F-250 for whatever reason, the outcome should probably be about as obvious as a drag race between a Ferrari and a Beetle. Now, granted, both these trucks cost about $55,000, but other than that and the fact that they're both pickups, the similarities stop there. Unless you've been living under a rock for the last 20 years, there's not much doubt that the F-250 is the more capable vehicle of the two. I know, I know, I probably just pissed off our entire listening audience. But look, it can tow more, and it does have a higher payload rating. I mean, it is a full-size truck, after all. And, of course, it weighs a lot more. However, the Ford isn't nearly as much fun as the Jeep, and it comes with far fewer amenities. Score one for the Jeep. Now, going back to the tug-of-war, however, the big F-250 absolutely dominates, just as you would expect it to. 
it can pull the Gladiator even with the Jeep driver holding down the brakes. No surprise there. But I don't think the point of this was really to try and embarrass Jeep in any way. It actually illustrates a very distinct point. If you're about to drop 50 grand on a truck, the choice comes down to what a buyer actually needs. If the ability to function as a work vehicle has top priority, well, then the F-250 is likely going to be the better choice. However, if you're willing to compromise a little bit on towing and payload, well, then the smaller Gladiator has features that the Ford can't even come close to matching for the same price. Now, despite knowing the outcome, if you're interested in watching the video from the Fastlane truck, we'll have the link in the show notes for this episode. I don't know if people actually uh, go through the process of thinking about uh, how, how this stuff actually works, uh, about, you know, mass and uh, the amount of friction, because you have weight that also helps the, yeah. the, amount, the amount of friction that you have to be able to pull things. Because I see stuff like this, and I, I go, why? It doesn't make any sense to even do it. I, I guess it's like the movies that you watch. Uh, maybe you, you, you've seen an airline uh, movie, or uh, yeah, the, the, maybe it's an airline movie, and it's very exciting and interesting. But if you're a pilot, you don't like it because they've screwed up so many things. They've embellished so many things. And, and I kind of get this is kind of the same way. If you know anything, these truck poles really aren't that interesting. Um, yeah, that's just it. I mean, unless you're, you know, it's it's tire for tire, they're the same. Horsepower for horsepower, they're the same. And the and the vehicles are, you know, within a hundred pounds of each other or yeah. something like that. I mean, when it's a true, you know, match to match, head for head type of uh, situation, well, yeah, then things get interesting. But when it's completely one sided, <laughs> like this was, uh, you know, it comes down to the finer points of what this is really trying to demonstrate. Oh, well, it'd be like, uh, and you'll say timely reference, it'd be like a uh, Mike Tyson fighting Gilligan. Uh, it's, just, <laughs> it's like, you know, what's the point here? You know, you know, what's going to happen. So the only, oh, yeah. the only thing interesting is one, though. The, the only thing I'd interesting pay to see that come yeah. on pay-per-view. No. Yeah. But the only thing oh. interesting is if Gilligan wins or gets, yeah, gets, right? gets a couple of gets not, a knocks good in uppercut there. and just knocks. Him Did down. you see <laughs> Nick Gilligan just punching Mike Tyson? And then for just a brief second, he has, uh, Mike Tyson has a beautiful British accent and perfectly spoken. Right. <laughs> I say good fellow, good form, and then collapse. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't call them four by fours. At least not yet. For now, they identify as four XEs. <laughs> you trigger me when you say they identify as. I know, I know. <laughs> Technical details for the first plug-in Wrangler haven't yet been revealed, but the Compass and Renegade share a powertrain that combines a 1.3 liter turbo turbocharged four-cylinder and electric motor combination driving the front wheels with a separate electric motor for the rear axle and no mechanical connection between the two ends. It's a similar layout actually uh, to the one that's used in the best-selling Toyota RAV4 hybrid and delivers up to 240 horsepower and an all-electric range of 31 miles between charges. I know, don't get too excited about that. That's certainly not going to get you far on that expedition trip next year, but really, who's doing that kind of stuff in a Renegade anyways? Now, we've known for months now that FCA is investing heavily in electrification right now, even going so far as to mer merge with a French automaker who's way ahead of the game in this department. The Wrangler, which is currently available with mild hybrid e-torque power units, which will likely feature a more robust take on the new technology as Jeep promises it will be a quote-unquote no-compromise off-road vehicle still, the new e-torque mild hybrid systems that are currently available is a replacement for the traditional alternator. It sports a belt-driven motor generator unit that executes several different functions from charging to drive power assist and more. More details will be released in the coming months, and all three models are set to go on sale before the end of the year, so I'm sure that we're going to be seeing those details here very soon. 
while Jeep plans to electrify its entire lineup by 2022. So I'm sure there's going to be a lot of details coming out here in the upcoming, upcoming months about the whole lineup. So is this the death of the Wrangler as we know it? What do you get? What do you think? Is, you know, electric Wrangler plug-in? I, I don't know. They're saying, you know, absolutely uh, no compromise off-road vehicle. I don't know. I'm, I'm not buying it yet. So there was an electric uh, electrification story, automobile electrification story, if that's an official word or not, uh, on the Jalopnik post. Strategery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, on the Jalopnik post on Facebook, and it had to do, you know, with putting electric. It may have been by the Jeep. I can't remember. But anyway, I was pro-electric because uh, the, the amount of torque, instant torque, uh, the amount of uh, thirty-one it, it, miles between charges. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's all I'm gonna say. Yeah, well, bear me out here. Uh, it, it's not like you haven't heard this before. <laughs> um, inside baseball, inside. Joke there. <laughs> the, uh, the the electric is is really the way to go. The really the biggest problem is we just don't have uh, the power density uh, in in a device. And once we get something that is small, lightweight, and has uh, a lot of power, and, and, and keep in mind, you're talk, I'm talking about number of you know months that you go between having to charge or refill the whatever is the electric generating thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I look forward to something like what they have on aircraft carriers, but but car size where they <laughs> they just put the pellets in once every five years and and drive all over the world uh, in their aircraft carriers. So yeah. <laughs> that's that's what we need is a much better power supply. Then electric becomes a reality. This stuff with solar and charging batteries, and the batteries are so huge. And now I, the power density of batteries is probably going to go up, and then we'll start seeing something like this. But it's not where we're going to go eventually. Electrification is is the way to go. But I was really surprised that, the, that some of the comments on the Facebook post that I made were against the electrification. I, you have fewer moving parts. Uh, less wear and tear. It's it, it it's going to be a much simpler, uh, more elegant, more efficient solution in the long term, but not right now. This almost seems like it is a, a knee jerk reaction to, um, you know, global warming or cooling or whatever it is of, at at the time. Well, well, two points. I mean, I'm I'm with you as far as electrification goes. As as far as it, it does present a lot of benefits. I mean, you have immediate torque. I mean, all the torque in the world. Um, available to you. All you got to worry about is traction. Now, uh, you know, putting that power down um, very slowly through a lot of gear reduction, that's something that we haven't seen yet from electric, from electric motors and stuff. So when they say, you know, no compromise off-road vehicle, I'm expecting, you know, that this electric vehicle is going to be dissipating a massive amount of heat because we're going to be putting a lot of power into a lot of gear reduction, theoretically. Now, maybe that might not be necessary because they've got an electric motor that can produce enough torque by itself that no transmission really is going to be needed other than, you know, forward and reverse, neutral, that sort of thing. Um, uh, and, and so that, you know, that torque can be applied um, without a transfer case is what I'm saying here. So I, you know, I'm not sure how this is all going to work, especially when we have uh, an existing platform that has a disconnected front and rear power, uh, power drive, uh, a powertrain system that can theoretically work together. Um, like a true four-wheel drive system. So, you know, I'm not sure. Like I said, there's a lot of details that aren't out right now, um, but you're right. This is a bit of a knee-jerk reaction, I think because they're trying to put themselves out in front because nobody else really is doing this right now. Nobody else has any kind of an electrified off-road vehicle, no, nothing with a four-wheel drive platform 
other than an all-wheel drive platform, but not nothing that really has any sort of off-road prowess um, that can be attributed to any sort of electrification. Jeep and FCA is going to put themselves at, at the you know spear's tip with this. Let me let me ask you this: um, Do you remember the 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 Jeep that you could drive and it, you could take off into the water, and it was also a boat? You know, those things have really sold like hotcakes, I'm sure. And I think this is what you're going to see with the electric Jeeps, the electric Wranglers specifically. I, I think we're going to see, I think this is going to sort of sell like the four-cylinder Wranglers did. You know what I'm saying? It, it's it's going to be There's more people for that the still commuter. think those are great, too. Well, I know. Look, I love the way the Wrangler drives and the way that it handles and everything like that. It's not for everybody, but, you know, I love the turning radius. I love the, you know, where, yeah. how high up you sit and everything like that, the view, everything else that comes with driving a Jeep. That's why we drive Jeeps. So, you know, granted, a four-cylinder doesn't have the grunt. It doesn't have the power, and it's really not that good off-road. Yes, you can do modifications to get them there, but that's not the point that I'm making here. The point that I'm making here is that the four-cylinder Wranglers were primarily marketed as a commuter vehicle, as something that you can, you know, use to, yes, get you out in the snow, up to the mountain, but also to the grocery store and, you know, out to work, all while, you know, not sacrificing a whole lot of fuel economy while still having that Wrangler in open-air experience. So, I think that's sort of the market that's going to be applied to the electrified Wranglers. (laughs) We're going to see a lot of in-city you know, Wrangler owners that that really never, ever put them into four-wheel drive or use them for intentionally what the vehicle was designed for. Well, you know, we're missing one big point. Uh, One of the great things about uh, anytime you merge with a French uh, automobile manufacturer is you get that great new car smell, cheese and stale cigarettes. Oh, (laughs) jeez. Well, if you have a news tip or response to any one of our stories, be sure to let us know by phone or by email. Just head over to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact and find out how. You're listening to a 4x4 Radio Network podcast. You know, we're always asking to go check out the 4x4 Radio Network, too, and it's for good reason. We've got a ton of stuff there, and even for, you know, the non-Jeep owners, too. I know it's not their fault, but it's okay. We've got <laughs> stuff there, We, I mean, for everybody. So, regardless of what you're into, regardless of what your friends are into, you know, we've got some off-road audio for everybody there. On the Trail Podcast, Trail Chasers, Center Steer Podcast. Hey, the 4x4 Podcast is there. We're there, too. It's all in one spot. It's all free. It's all at 4x4radionetwork.com. We'll see you there. From the top to the tires, from the transmission to the tailpipe, and from bumper to bumper, if you've got a Wrangler, he's got you covered. It's Wrangler Talk with Bill. Hello, JTS listener, and on this week's Wrangler Talk, we're going to be talking about the cooling system of your Jeep and the different parts of it. So if you've been following my Instagram, and if not, my Instagram profile will be listed in the show notes, don't worry. You've seen that I've been rebuilding my 1998 Jeep Cherokee, named Puddles, thank you Tammy for the name. So yeah, but it has the 4.0 liter straight six cylinder engine in it. And it is the most common Jeep engine out there. And is basically the same, has the same components in it as any Wrangler as well. So in the rebuild process, I've been replacing my cooling system because it had some of those dreaded coolant leaks all over the place. Well, actually to the point where I could have probably taken a shower under one of the leaks. It was terrible. So... How does the cooling system work? Well, 
On our trusty 4.0 liters, there is a mechanical water pump that is driven by the serpentine belt in the front of the motor that forces the engine coolant antifreeze from the motor to the radiator and then again into the top of the motor. And that provides the cooling factor that we need to keep our engine cool when we're driving it. And the flow of the coolant is controlled by a mechanical thermostat that opens and closes when it is subject to the heat of the engine. When the engine comes up to operating temperature, the thermostat will open and allow the flow of coolant through the engine. So when I was rebuilding my engine, I was doing some research on the different temperature thermostats out on the market. And you may come across this as well. And... I was doing some reading and discovered a couple interesting things. The different temperature thermostats can be used actually to your benefit depending on what type of driving you're going to be using your Jeep for. And they're normally about three different temperature ratings for thermostats. And they are 160, 180, and 195 degrees Fahrenheit. And by nature, they will all open at their respected temperature. Although each thermostat should be used for different applications. And if you're just driving your Jeep normally as a daily driver, don't stray away from the standard 180 or 195 degree thermostat. Although if you're using your Jeep for a lot of like off-roading or rock crawling, when you're going to be moving at low speeds but putting a lot of stress on your motor, you might want to actually look into a lower temp thermostat. And the benefit of a lower temp thermostat is that you'll be letting your radiator work more for you by allowing more coolant to flow through the thermostat when the engine is not running at a lot of load or, you know, as you're just cruising around. And it will delay the process of maxing out your coolant system when you hit that hill or kind of rock crawling around. So the next part of your cooling system that directly interacts with the thermostat is the thermostat housing. And that part actually mounts right to the engine block. And the housing itself is actually prone to cracking because of the heat cycles that it goes through over the life of the engine. So kind of if you're looking to go to a different temp thermostat, it might actually be a good idea to replace the housing that it uses as well while you're at it. So another fun tip, if you are feeling adventurous, you can actually shave down the inside of the thermostat housing where the housing makes a hard turn. And if you look at the front of your motor, you'll actually be able to see where it comes directly out the front of the motor and then makes that hard turn in the upward direction. And when you start shaving the inside of this thermostat housing, there's plenty of material there, but it'll actually allow for better flow through the this part of your cooling system and in turn giving you better flow through the whole engine itself. And now probably next to the most important part of your cooling system and that is the water pump. And as I said before, the water pump forces the coolant through your cooling system. So it is make it is important to make sure your water pump is in proper working order. The water pumps actually do wear out over time and can lead to many other problems if they do fail. So some of the common failures that I've seen personally is that the center shaft of the water pump, yeah, say that three times fast, can actually become bent and lead to (laughs) 
the impeller blades or the impeller itself start rubbing the inside of the housing and lead to a failure and reduce the cooling capacity of the coolant system. And another common failure is that the impeller completely breaks off the water pump shaft and will leave you with no coolant flow whatsoever and then eventually overheating, which is not good whatsoever. So one of the easiest ways to check your water pump is just to spin the water pump itself and make sure that it spins freely in the housing. And this will actually tell you if there's any rubbing of the impeller or the water pump's bearings are going bad or kind of you'll be able to tell if the shaft is bent itself. And the next most important part of your cooling system is the radiator. And your radiator is where the heat exchange process happens. So radiators are pretty simple. They leak or they don't leak. So if yours is leaking, you might want to look into replacing the whole radiator like I did. Also, when you're inspecting your radiator, make sure that it is clean and free of all the mud and muck and everything else. Because when your radiator is caked in mud, you're actually reducing the cooling capacity of the radiator because the mud is actually holding the heat into it itself. And it will not let the heat exchange process happen efficiently. And then finally, there are the coolant hoses. There's an upper and lower coolant hose. And these rubber hoses are designed to carry the coolant to and from the motor. And they're made of rubber and eventually they will start to leak over some time. The rubber rubber becomes hard over time due to the heat cycling. And they lost their, you know, tight seal around their connection points. So just go ahead, buy new ones. They're cheap and they greatly reduce the chance of of springing a leak in the future. So finally, my last point, don't ever use that radiator fixed jar of crap you see in the auto parts store. Please don't. It just makes a huge mess in the future when you eventually need to replace a part in your cooling system and need to drain all the coolant out of your motor. Let me tell you, that stuff gets everywhere inside the motor and you can never get it out. So, your cooling system, it's pretty simple. The coolant flows through the motor and it provides that cooling factor for your motor so it doesn't overheat when you're out on the trails. And thank you for listening to this week's Wrangler Talk. And remember, if you have any questions or comments about the show, head over to our website at jeeptalkshow.com slash contact and send us an email or leave us a voice message. And we would gladly help you out with any questions you got. So thank you for listening and talk to you next week on the Wrangler Talk. Ah, crap. Where the hell was Bill when I had my overheating problems for 12, 17 600 I was going to say, you know, you're dealing with that for like a decade. We were hearing about it on a weekly basis for, I don't know, about 15 months straight. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's well, like therapy. Man, we could have used some of this back then. It was therapy for me, Josh. Come on the show and, oh, my Jeep's overheating. It's summertime. Yeah, I know. Lay, lay down on the couch and show us where the bad Jeep touched you. <laughs> oh, that was good times. <laughs> and now it's time for some radio com tech. 
This is John, and last time on Radio Comtech, we gave away a CB radio with the help of Radiodity, and then the following week, Tony gave away another CB. If you didn't win one, Radiodity has also offered Jeep Talk Show listeners 15% off of their CB27 by using the promo code JTS on their website, R-A-D-I-O-D-D-I-T-Y dot com. Thanks again to Radiodity for their support. Today on Radio Comtech, we will talk about FRS and GMRS. Why am I grouping them together? Because they use the same 22 channels in the 462 and 467 megahertz UHF frequency range. FRS is license-free, while GMRS does require a $70 pay-to-play license. No test is required, and it covers you and your immediate family for 10 years. Skip a latte or two a year, and you made your money back. FRS is 2 watts or less, and come only as handheld radios with non-removable antennas. They are good for spotters or for those in your group without a GMRS license, though operating a handheld from inside a vehicle will likely result in less than desirable performance. GMRS is more than 2 watts up to 50 watts, and the radios come in both handheld and mobile. The quarter-wave GMRS antenna is only about 6 inches tall, so it's much easier to mount it high on a vehicle and yet not get destroyed by branches. For size comparison, a quarter-wave CB antenna is only 108 inches tall. You can get longer GMRS antennas that will provide more powerful signal towards the horizon, where a quarter-wave antenna sends signal up and out. A quarter-wave antenna is good when in the mountains or the city and you are trying to reach repeaters on top of peaks or buildings. When searching for a GMRS mobile antenna, look for an antenna that operates between 450 and 470 megahertz, as they will work on GMRS, but typically won't mention GMRS specifically in the description. Most, if not all, antennas that work on GMRS will have an NMO mount and require coax with the appropriate NMO end. They are easy to find, as they are used quite extensively in ham radio as well. FRS and GMRS use frequencies that are line of sight, so it is best if you can get the antennas up high, such as on the roof or a roof rack. They also require less ground plane, so you can get away with mounting them to racks and smaller pieces of metal than you could a CB antenna. A fender mount will work as well, though it may shorten your distance a bit. This isn't as much of an issue if you're using a repeater that is considerably higher, unless that repeater is far away. FRS and GMRS are FM, so they are not as bothered by environmental RFI and have good audio quality. Handheld versions of both radios can typically be purchased at local big box stores or outdoor retailers. For mobile radios, Midland USA is the major radio company with multiple choices, but Baofeng Tech has also recently stepped into the GMRS mobile radio market. Mobile GMRS radios are about the size of a compact CB or smaller. Midland offers one with all the controls in the microphone, similar to the popular CB radios. GMRS has been around for a while, but mobile radios were not easily available for those wanting a plug-and-play option until the last couple of years. GMRS is slowly gaining popularity as it is better than CB in almost every way. Pros. More power, small radios, small antennas, less ground plane, repeater capable, FM audio, license covers, immediate family, and no test. Cons. There is a $70 license. It's not as popular or as common as CB's. If you have any communication questions, go to jeeptalkshow.com forward slash contact to submit. Stay tuned for the next Radio Comtech for more information on other communication options. You know, there's a lot of communication options open today, and even some that don't really require uh, a license or studying or any of that nasty Morse code. I guess none of them uh, uh, need the Morse code test anymore. Yeah, right. But, uh, but still, there's lots of different ways that you can communicate. And I just thought I'd mention, you know, uh, John mentions that you, if you're using like a handheld inside your, your vehicle, uh, you'll have less than desired results. 
And I think that's always been the, the thing, as you see in uh, futuristic movies where people are talking these communications devices, and there's no massive antennas. There's, there's nothing other than just the little device and magically communicating over vast distances. And, of course, the magic is the technology. But yet we have cell phones, and in some cases they're just so damn tiny, yet you can mm-hmm. talk to anybody in the world. That is just a miracle. And if you haven't been in the, the life of the D-sized batteries and uh, walkie-talkies that uh, uh, <laughs> promoted quarter-mile communications, to have be able to have that cell phone in your hand and communicate instantly or, or post things on uh, social media uh, sites that can be viewed worldwide by you know, half a billion people. Just this is the 21st century, folks. It's just amazing. Well, I love these little FRS radios. I mean, I've got a pair in my toolbox right now that I carry with me all the time. And the reason why is because they are handy for a number of issues. If if I'm doing a side job or something like that, and I'm like down in a marina or something, or I'm, or I'm, I'm in a vehicle, I need something to go, you know, do a parts run for me or grab something out of a, out of a vehicle or a toolbox or something like that. I've got a, a means of communication. Hey, I also need you to grab me this. While you're up there, do that, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, but they also work really good on the trail. Because I mean, I can't tell you how many times I'm in a group of, you know, six, seven, eight, ten Jeeps, and you know, half the guys don't have any kind of communications whatsoever other than their cell phone, which 90% of the time, if you're up on the mountain, doesn't get reception anyways. So it doesn't really do you any good, no matter how, you know, fancy it is or, or whatever. But you know, one of these uh, you know, a couple of these FRS radios, you can throw one, you know, to to a spotter. Um, you know, he can go up the trail, you know, 50 yards or whatever, give you clear direction, you know, and the, and the person in the Jeep doesn't have a radio. The person, you know, who's spotting probably doesn't have a radio, but with these things, now you've got communication, you've got great line of sight and you can get good spotting all while having, you know, direct communication without having to worry about yelling and shouting. Can you hear me over the exhaust? You know, this sort of thing. There's other people, you know, trying to chime in on this channel that we're on on the CBs. You know, all that stuff. So they have a lot of uh, a lot of uses and a lot of benefits. So, I mean, geez, and they're what, Tony, like 20, 30, 40 bucks for a pair of these things, like the Motorola's, and they work great too. Yeah, it's, it's just amazing. And I just want to uh, restate what John said in, uh, in, in his uh, segment there. Radiosity uh, giving a 15% discount to our listeners off their CB27 by using the promo code JTS on their website. That's uh, radio. Is it radio? I think I just said it wrong. Radio oddity. Radio oddity. Yeah. It's such an unusual name. Yeah, uh, but uh, you can see that in the show notes and just click on the link. It'll take you right over there. Fifteen percent off on their CB twenty seven uh, product promo code JTS. Thanks a lot to Radio Oddity and thank you for letting me mispronounce your name. That's <laughs> very good. <laughs> Hello, Jeep Talk Show crew. Love the show. New listener. I just acquired a 2001 XJ that came with a two-inch lift on it, a spacer on top of the coil spring, and add a leaf on the rear leaf pack along with a spacer under that. Uh, this is my first time lifting a Jeep, and I understand that I need a slip yoke eliminator to help with that dry shaft in the rear. But now I find out I have a Danny 30 low pinion angle on the front. Am I going to run into problems putting a 3-inch lift on this? I'm trying to somewhat restore it, bring it back to life by replacing the suspension parts, and I figured I'd just do a lift, but it seems like I'm running into more issues. 
any help you can, advice you can give, I'd much appreciate it. Love the show. Keep it up. Thanks for the talk show stickers. I'll put it on my Jeep as soon as I finish painting it. Thanks, well, very good. Talk to you later. Bye. <laughs> Well, hey, very good. Thanks for uh, for listening, and of course, welcome to the show. I mean, we always love our new listeners, and uh, congrats on the on the new Cherokee. Um, uh, we're not not necessarily new, but new to you. So this is a, a question that comes up countless times um, from a lot of people new to the Jeep world, uh, and that is, you know, what to do with the drive line and 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 drive line angles when lifting the Jeep. This is a a serious concern. Um, now, when you lift up a Jeep, the drive line angles increase, and uh, generally. Uh, without addressing that, you can get into binding and, and vibrations and things like that. At worst case scenario, you're going to blow up the U-joints in your driveline or, or blow out a yoke, um, something like that, the, the part that the U-joint actually presses into. Uh, now, if you don't have any problems right now at two inches, at three inches, chances are it's not going to be the end of the world. But however, it is probably something that you're going to start noticing and that you'll want to address. Now, a slip yoke eliminator not necessarily is the ideal solution for a three inch lift. Now, above that, I would say yes. But at you know two or three inches, you can get away with things like um, an angle shim on the leaf pack in the rear. And what that does is it helps angle the rear pinion at the right angle, pointing it more up towards the transfer case, reducing that driveline angle. Uh, something else that you can use in combination with or instead of that is what's called a, tra- a transfer case drop kit. And what this is is basically just blocks, essentially spacers. Um, that you put in between the transfer case cross member and the frame rail or, or unibody in the case of the XJ uh, that drop the transmission or and the transfer case a little bit. It's just about an inch, really. It's not much, but you know, uh, serious wheelers will say that you're sacrificing ground clearance. But in the event of a small lift like that on a Jeep that you know probably isn't going to see a whole lot of rocks, this is fine. And what that does is it drops the the, the drivetrain a little bit. And it helps reduce that ang- that driveline angle again, helping uh, you know with that uh, with the driveline angle at the pinion and the in the transfer case. So you know there's a number of ways that you can go about this. Um, it, it's really going to come down to what the intent of the Jeep is. Are you just going to flip it? You know, are you going to you going to spruce it up and flip it because you got it for a screaming deal? Um, in that case, you want to go with the budget route. Um, you know, you may not have to do anything at all. I can't tell you how many times that I've you know heard of people who have three and a half, four inches of lift, and they don't have a slip yoke eliminator and haven't done a transfer case drop, and they have no problems. Every Jeep is unique, and they're all going to have their own unique characteristics and stuff, so it's really going to come down to what your Jeep needs and what your intents of the Jeep are. There is one other thing I'm going to recommend that you do, though, and that you address that has nothing to do with your driveline, though, but will come into play as you lift your Jeep, and that is addressing the front track bar. As you lift up your Jeep, that track bar doesn't adjust unless it is an adjustable track bar. And so that's going to pull the axle to one side as you lift up the Jeep. And so you need to address that by either putting in an adjustable track bar to recenter the front axle or by uh, using something called a track bar relocation bracket. And there's a number of reputable companies out there where you can get this from. Uh, and it's relatively cheap, 20 or 30 bucks, I think. And you have to drill one hole, one bolt, and, uh, and you can reuse your existing track bar. Uh, so, you know, that's something that you'll want to address with this, with the three inch lift. But, uh, but I think we've covered the bases there. I think you've got a few options to look at. Uh, again, it's going to come down to the budget and what the overall intent of the vehicle is. What you save in, uh, or what you lose in ground clearance saves you in dental work, Josh. Yeah, that's true. Because <laughs> <laughs> you can get some, uh, some pretty good vibrations and it's just an inch. So, um, it's never something good to say in a romantic setting. But it uh, it really is important, and 
it really is important uh, whenever you drop that transfer case down and uh, get get rid of those vibes. Uh, not all vibes are good. I'm I'm full of them tonight, Josh. <laughs> oh yeah. Hey, one last one last little tip for you there. Um, PB Blaster is going to be your friend, or Croil, any kind of penetrating lubricant, penetrating oil, and use it very liberally. Spray the living, you know what, out of every bolt that you are planning on dealing with uh, in the near future. And I'm going to say do this for a minimum of two days before you even touch it with a wrench or a socket. The reason why is Jeep bolts are notorious for breaking um, or seizing up, So especially if you are anywhere in the rust belt. Uh, so, yeah, take my advice. If you're planning on, on uh, doing anything with the suspension work, whether it's the eye bolts of the leaf springs or the, uh, the, the bolts for the shocks uh, or even the, uh, the, the transfer case, transfer case cross member bolts, um, spray them down with penetrating oil for days uh, until you mess with them. This will save you a lot of headache of dealing with a broken bolt. The uh, PB Blaster is great, but what I always do is what uh, past uh, President uh, Bill Clinton always uh, said that he oh, did. No. He doesn't oh, inhale. No. <laughs> oh, Remember, he smoked marijuana, I but he didn't did inhale. I did not inhale. <laughs> I did not have sexual contact with that newbie. All righty, so there we go. Coming up in Tech Talk, we'll continue our multi-part series in tracking down and identifying a parasitic drain or parasitic drain on your Jeep's battery. Are you living the Jeep life? From mall crawlers to weekend warriors, from daily drivers to weekend wheelers, it's all about the Jeep life, and it's all good. It's time for Jeep Life with Jeep Mama. Hey, Tony and Josh, Jeep Mama here. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to everyone. And I'm going to give you guys a little update on my life. Um, Last week I shared with you I was going to have some life changes, and those changes have happened. Um, For the past several years, I've been having relationship issues with my husband. We've been separated but living together for the past two years, and it's finally come to ahead and it's we're going to be legally separated which means we can't live in the same under the same roof and I did not want to have to sell our house not quite yet because my son is still in high school I didn't want him to leave his friends in his home he grew up in so I decided to be the one to leave I don't have a job I'm having a hard time finding a job in where I live it's the most ex- one of the most expensive places to live in the country and I decided I was going to start my dream early, a couple of years early. And after several, several days and weeks of toiling over this decision, my sons and I came to the agreement that this would be the best for all of us. So here I am, packed everything I have in my Jeep, left everything else behind for my kids and my husband, ex-husband, I guess, and I headed west. And I'm here in the frozen tundra of Colorado, where I'm meeting up with Neil. Neil is the jeeper that I did the Adams Extreme Off-Road Adventure with. And we decided we're going to team up, like I said earlier, um, on our trip. We are teaming up, doing celebrating the Jeep life. And since we're on a really, really strict budget... We are spending our money wisely, and we found a camper, a sliding camper, with a Dodge pickup. It's a purple pickup, by the way, which is so awesome. And we got it for under $1,000, both of them. We're remodeling it right now. It's in a garage. We're remodeling it and trying to live in it at the same time, which can be very stressful. Um, But we got to hurry up and get it done. We're going to move it to a campground. By the way, it's like below zero, Tony and Josh, so... um, a little chilly here 
Anyway, so then Neil can get to work on doing his mechanical work, and we'll save up some money, and we're going to start traveling the United States, going to Jeep events, living the Jeep life. And I will be, you know, updating you guys on the Jeep life, how to live in a super budget, how to live simply, um, because I didn't bring my couch and my bed and um, just all that stuff. Um, so I'm living very simple and on a strict budget. So you can follow me along here on the Jeep Talk Show or my blog, jeepmama.com, any of my social media sites. And I've also set up a Patreon site, and I would love if you would come support me. That's where I will share more personal things going on in my life and on this journey. And I hope you become a supporter. Anyway, I'm going to go back in because I think my hand is frozen to this recorder. Um, anyway, you guys have a great show, and I'll check in with you again soon. I don't know. I think this whole deal is uh, starting off kind of uh, kind of bad if uh, Neil's going to require her to go outside to record her segments. Judge, <laughs> say, you know, 19 below zero and you're, and you're outside. I don't know. It's, you know hey, i, I got to be inside to do this. Uh, Does so, he yeah. think there's a lot of cursing? It's because of the way she drives on the, you know, goes that wheeling. recorder, it gives off uh, radiation, <laughs> and I don't want it. In ju- no, I have no idea. I really don't. <laughs> oh, gee. Well, never a good thing to have to go through. Uh, I, I think we've all been through bad relationships. It's just, uh, it, it's it's sad. It, there's no way around it. But there is life afterwards. You just got to, uh, you know, Especially keep going. with a Jeep. Exactly. <laughs> Throw all your love and affection towards your Jeep and you'll be okay. It'll never let you down. It always lets you down, folks. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, until it does. <laughs> Uh, but damn it, it's not going to be seeing anybody else. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Uh, you know, we wish you all the all the best of luck, Tammy. And of course, uh, you know, Jeep Talk Show is going to be following her, and she's going to be following us. And and Tammy's not going anywhere. It'll be a part of the show uh, indefinitely here. So, how does her Jeep life compare with yours? We'd love to hear your story. Contact her and and we'll, or the show and and share what you have to say. Just go to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact and find out how. And hey, are you going topless this weekend? Find out where you can in Jeep Weather with Mitch a little bit later in the show. Oh man, if this works, it means I got out of that loop. <laughs> hey guys. <laughs> Time travel reference. <laughs> so I've been calling like weekly. No one's been getting it. Well, Wait for it. Hands up. I was in some trans-dimensional time warp. It, trans. And I've been calling the Jupe ah. talk show. It was oh, neat. That there was a a per, a Tammy that ran the show, and she was the head leader and <laughs> smart Alec. Interesting. There was a a Tony who had a Wrangler and favorite color was blue. Weirdly, then there was a Josh. Well, Josh, uh, he made funny things and was a DJ, radio announcer, something like that. I don't know. You're the same in all universes, Josh. I would call in like every week and leave good advice. What was it? I don't know. But it's weird. Like opposites. Everything. (laughs) I think I escaped. Maybe. The snow is piling up all around here. Bye. So I'll I'll use a old David Letterman reference. Super Croc, maybe you should break the pills in half. <laughs> oh. <laughs> 
Uh, good to hear from Super Croc once again, man. It's been a little while now. Uh, for those who are new to the show, Super Croc was uh, calling in on a fairly regular basis with us for a little while, giving us some updates on a build that he had going on, and and uh, and offering up some uh, some technical questions for the show that we would uh, address every so often. Uh, but uh, no, glad to hear you're still kicking it, Super Croc, and uh, and thanks for calling in. Glad to hear he's still listening too, in whatever dimension he's in. Breaker 1-9, Breaker 1-9. This is Nate from Michigan. This is Mako Patrol in Florida. Hey, it's Robbie from West Virginia. This is Brandon from Virginia. Hey, this is Chris from Detroit. This is Justin T. from Missouri. This is Joe in Oceanside. Hey, this is Max from Chicago. Hey, this is Alex from Florida. Hey, that's hey. I fucking want to win something from the G. John Show. Love you guys. Have a great Christmas. Keep listening for more Jeep Talk Show giveaways. You know, oh, I probably I probably went a little long on those, you know, so and so from from here and here and here. I just I minute. love getting those voicemails. I love it's just so much fun. Go ahead. I, the, I know what you're going to ask. A four year old saying "Merry Christmas, Grandma." <laughs> <laughs> wait, the, wait, do we know which show we called into here? The, the guy, here? the guy, literally was calling in to win the CB, and he said. Uh, you know, the boys and I have been sitting here listening to the Jeep talk show and blah, you know, said a few other things. And he said, the, I want to effing win the, the, the Jeep talk show. He says, say Merry Christmas, boys. And that's what you hear. <laughs> and they're like, you know, five and six year olds. And he's you're talking this way in front of them. And, hey, who are you calling grandma? <laughs> yeah. And then they say Merry Christmas, you know, because they're just in automatic mode. They're all sugared yeah, up. I'm supposed to. Right? Okay, that's fine. I'm supposed to, you know, say Merry Christmas to people on the phone. Just keep feeding me sugar. I'll do whatever you right. want. The first it was uncle then it was on okay grandma's next all right here we go <laughs> the guy kind of laughs and he goes well we're calling the jeep talk show but it's okay that's all right just, yeah we're there had, they're good sports had, over there had to include that in there it was hilarious good times tony good times well we did finally get our caller. our final car finally got the caller i know it you get it around the break with the way that you know people had time off and the way the holidays all stacked up and everything it was kind of weird and you heard that we're giving away a cb right on the heels of another cb giveaway courtesy of radiodity and we thought well one cb giveaway deserves another so we decided to do it again and uh and it did, took a little while because of, we had a holiday and stuff in there i think people kind of got confused and Oh, it says me for our Christmas, and they're going to give that away right away. I don't have to call in. And sure enough, we didn't get enough callers the first week. Well, we sure got enough callers the second <laughs> yeah, week we around. And, uh, and we got uh, we got one. Uh, who is it, Tony? Give us a drum roll. We'll do a big announcement. It was James H. from Alvin, Texas. He was our <laughs> CB winner. Congratulations, James. He selected the Uniden PC78 LTX. Great CB. What do you think, Tony? Did he make a good choice there? I, I think this was an excellent choice. You know, you have to have more room to be able to mount the thing, but this is more of a real CB. Now, yeah. I have I have the Midland handheld unit, and it's fine, and it's great for being for ease of installation, but I would say it's more of a receive-only thing, and, and maybe a, a good trail uh, rig, but the speaker inside of it is horrible, so I would recommend a uh, an earbud or something. Well, I always recommend the, the external speaker add-on oh, yeah. for, for CBs, especially in a Jeep. It just, even, you know, the road noise, even exhaust, this unit, and, yeah, the, even this unit, and I would recommend an external speaker. Yeah. It's going to be a lot better. But the the speaker is bigger and better in this than it would be in the handheld. Anyway, I think this was an excellent choice, James. And uh, of course, Josh, you need to work on this because you know we have listeners in Texas. You need to be able to Texan it up a little bit. It's Alvin, Texas. <laughs> yeah, get that drawl. Downtown bright lights. Yahoo! 
Anyway, congratulations and thanks for being a listener. And uh, we do appreciate yeah. all the calls. It was uh, so much fun to hear from you, from you folks. Continue to call in. We like hearing the voicemails. We love hearing from you guys. Why did you become a paid subscriber to the Jeep Talk Show? I love the show. I've been listening to you guys for free for, I don't know, years now. And I figured I'd time to give back. You can be a paid subscriber and help support the show you love, the Jeep Talk Show. It'll just uh, help help the show out. And, and then in the end, it'll be Jeep Talk Show in my ear holes, you know? Just go to JeepTalkShow.com and look for the big yellow subscribe button. It'd be nice to give back to uh, so that you guys can continue on. Because if they love the show, then why shouldn't you, why shouldn't you give back just a little bit you know christmas is over we got a brand new year brand new decade give yourself the gift of a jeep talk show paid subscription just go over to jeeptalkshow.com look for that paid subscribe button and hit that little button for less uh, or i should say i wish it was less than uh, two dollars a month i guess i could say less than 45 dollars a month and that would handle it but for just a little more, a little more <laughs> for just a little more than two dollars a month you can uh, help support the show financially and uh, help us do more giveaways and uh, get Josh and Tammy out to places and all kinds of things. It's like a cup of coffee or a soda. And no, it's not a tax write-off. Oh, boy, if we could get that, we still still would have trouble getting people to subscribe. (laughs) You got tech questions? Ah, boy, do I ever. We have answers. Oh, that's good. It's Tech Talk with Jeep Talk. Yahoo! Last week, we went over one of the most simplest ways to find the source of a random draw, otherwise known as a parasitic drain, on a Jeep's battery. Although the fuse-pull method will work fine on older Jeeps or other older vehicles, there are just too many subsystems on the more modern Jeeps that need to remain dormant for this other method or this new test to work. In order for this test to work on newer, newer vehicles or newer Jeeps, we need to allow all of these other subsystems to completely shut down or fall asleep before we can begin this test. Pulling a fuse and reinserting it over and over again and multiple times in different places, you know, all that will essentially wake up these subsystems and provide a false positive when trying to figure out where the offending circuit is. Even something as simple as a proximity key system, where all you have to do is be close to the vehicle and you can push a button to start it, can disrupt things. Once in a sleep mode, the key coming back near the vehicle can wake systems back up. The dash lights may light up, the fuel pump may prime, and any number of other systems can come to life, and we don't want that for this. The test that we are going to cover this week is called a voltage drop test. There are various voltage drop tests that can be done on our Jeeps, but this one is specific to battery drain. Voltage drop is defined as the change of voltage across a resistance, or in this case in our Jeeps, a circuit in our Jeep. But how do we measure this without activating on that circuit or waking the, everything up on that circuit entirely? Well, The test will show you how to quickly pinpoint the source of the draw using voltage drop across a fuse while the vehicle is in what is referred to as its sleep mode. Now, the only tool you're going to need for this, basically, is a digital multimeter. Honestly, it doesn't really matter the brand or how fancy the voltmeter is, so long as it can take voltage and maybe even amperage measurements and in the right scale. Don't worry, honestly, about 99% of the mainstream and even budget meters out there can do this, so chances are what you have in your toolbox or what your buddy has in the toolbox is going to be just fine. Once you have your meter, we're going to begin by gaining access to your Jeep's fuse panels. Yes, there was an S in there, as in plural, because there is likely two and maybe even three fuse panels in your Jeep. So refer to your owner's manual to find these locations if you don't already know. But generally, there is at least one under the hood and at least one inside the Jeep. Remove their covers and familiarize yourself with the layout of what's what's inside. You'll be probing these fuses later, and you're going to want to do so without shorting the probes out to any metal nearby. Now, next, you're going to want to make sure to, to close the latch of any door that is open or that needs to stay open to get, to get access to those fuse panels. 
Do this by using a screwdriver to act as the door pin and manually move the mechanism inside the door latch inside the door. Just don't forget to release it before closing the door when you're all done, otherwise you're going to hear a big bang. Now, you may also need to depress any door pins that are uh, left open and, uh, and keep those depressed by duct tape or a clamp, and sometimes a piece of wood and a clamp are needed. In other words, keep that door pin closed by any creative means that you can. If your Jeep has one, do something to keep the hood pin switch in the closed position and make sure the rear hatch and glove box are closed too. Basically, what we're doing here is going to start covering every possible common sense draw like the proximity key fob I was talking about earlier, to make sure we don't see any of those false positives I was talking about during the test. Once all of this is done, the vehicle can finally begin to enter its sleep mode. This is why we're doing all this, to get the vehicle to mimic the state that it's in as it sits, or sleeps if you will, overnight in your driveway and drains your battery. The only difference is that we have taken steps to leave access to test things without waking the vehicle up, of course. And we need to take measurements while the vehicle's in this state. In order to do so, we need the previously mentioned multimeter or digital voltmeter. Now, by now, those who don't have a prior understanding of electronics may already be a bit overwhelmed and maybe a little bit worried about probing their Jeep's fuse panels with an instrument they know little about. On the surface, it may seem technical, especially if you don't own or have never used a voltmeter before. I mean, this is like scientific equipment we're talking about here. But let me assure you, all you need to do is look for a difference in numbers, and anybody can make comparisons based on what they see. There's not even any math involved. I Trust me. <laughs> I know. Believe me, that's one of my big things, too. Okay, now that you know more or less uh, have an understanding of what we're going to be doing and why, I feel this is a good place to take a break for now, because next week we're going to get into the actual test procedures using the digital voltmeter to find the amount of draw and track down its actual source circuit inside the fuse panel. So, stick around. Stay tuned. Son of a bitch. I was looking forward to finding out how that, that voltage drop, and you're just, you're just a big tease. Well, you know, Tony, honestly, I thought about doing this all at once, but it would end up being about a 10 or a 15-minute segment, and there is a lot of tech inside of this stuff that we need to really take our, our, our steps with and, and make sure that people have an understanding of what they're doing and why. And that's the most important thing is why you're doing this. And and once you have an understanding of why you're going to be doing something, just going through the motions gives you a better understanding of, of, you know, sort of what you're doing, why you're there and what you're going to end up with and what you're looking for and all that other stuff. Even if you don't have the ability to repair an electrical circuit, in the end, you're going to have knowledge that you can take to your, to your repair shop and save yourself a lot of money because now you can direct them, hey, I've got a short or something going on on this. And, and that way, you know, they have a place to start looking versus spending hours doing this procedure, which they're going to charge you for, by the way, by the hour. <laughs> and sometimes it may take an hour or two or more for a vehicle to fully enter its sleep mode. All of that time, they're going to be charging you for. So, uh, yeah, save yourself some money. Do yourself the test. We're going to get into the nuts and bolts of it here next week. So let me ask you this. If you were, yeah. say, sleeping in your Jeep or maybe even in a rooftop tent, uh, camping out in your Jeep, uh, does that mean that the key fob would keep the your Jeep awake while you were sleeping at night, potentially draining the battery? Well, that's a really good question, Tony, um, because it, the Jeep may sense this, the, the proximity of the key for an extended period of time. Like, oh, well, they forgot the key in the vehicle or something like that. So there will be a, 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 a sort of a code, if you will, written into the heart uh, to the firmware of the system. Be like, okay, if you see the key for three hours and the vehicle is shut off, 
then you need to go ahead and, and go ahead and, and move into sleep oh, mode at right. that point. I bet you're right. Because that, so, that would be the thing to do. I never thought about somebody leaving the key in there. That that could always happen, especially during New Year's Eve. Uh, I could see that happening quite yeah. often. <laughs> right? I'm sure there was a lot of dead batteries this week. Also, too, uh, for the folks that have never worked on 12-volt uh, automobile systems, um, I'm sure there's a few of them out there that recall when they were a kid, uh, and, and children don't try this at home, uh, sticking a fork in a, the power outlet on the wall and oh, uh, yeah, don't do that. You know, getting curly <laughs> hair and now walking with a lisp. No, it so, tickles. <laughs> it's just, but uh, the 12-volt systems, uh, you know, they're going to be touching metal and stuff potentially with this. Are they going to get that same kind of jolt from the 12-volt the Oh, system? heavens no. Heavens no. And in fact, um, uh, we'll be getting into a lot of these other kind of details next week, but a lot of the circuits are going to be straight up dead. I mean, there's not going to be any voltage on them. But even um, when there and, is, it's, it's nothing. And even when there is, no. And we're talking about 12 volts. We're talking about milliamps. We're talking about maybe just a few amps even um, uh, when it's at its full draw. Uh, so, no, this isn't the type of amperage that could kill you or that could burn you or anything like that. And honestly, what you're going to be doing, the worst thing that's going to happen is that you're going to pop a fuse either in the Jeep or in your instrument, in your testing instrument, in your, uh, your multimeter. Um, and that's honestly the worst that's going to happen. So you, you can replace a fuse and get right back to what you were doing, which is a, raises a good point. Um, if you want to be prepared a little bit, make sure that you have uh, some spare fuses on hand, at oh, least yeah. maybe one of each of the ratings that are in your fuse box. Uh, typically, you can go to your parts store, grab a box that has multiple fuses in it of a certain size, uh, whether it be the ATC or MTC side, you know, the, the, which are the big blade or the small blade fuses. Uh, in other words, uh, just grab whatever you need, and, and typically one of those multi-packs will have uh, everything that you would need. Worst case scenario, honestly, if you're paying attention, you're going through the uh, going through the steps and everything, you're going to be just fine, and so is your Jeep, and you're likely not going to run into anything. You would have to really be screwing up in order to short something out or to pop a fuse. Yeah, bottom line is you, you can always kill or injure yourself doing something that we can't uh, imagine what you'd be doing, but generally speaking... Uh, 12 volts is going to be much safer to work on than uh, 110 or certainly 220 uh, or even one of the back of the old TV sets with 50, 60,000 volts uh, low current uh, because that will really zap your ass. Uh, But uh, So be careful. uh, Take the proper precautions. If you don't feel comfortable doing it yourself, get somebody else to do it. But I want to let you know that working on 12 volts, it's like one of those things where you're doing something, you're touching something, and you, maybe your arm is resting on the body of the vehicle, and you go, what's that vibration? Oh, uh-huh. that's electricity. <laughs> that's electricity, yeah. <laughs> I better move my that's arm funny. before it gets worse. It's really, it's really <laughs> strange. It, it is a really strange sensation. Yeah, having electrons flow through you into the body of your Jeep. Yeah, no, that's it. You're right. It's interesting. But you're right. It's not going to kill you. It's not going to uh, uh, you know, damage your skin or your heart or anything like that. But, uh, but yeah, just something to be aware of. If you have anything to add or maybe you have a question in the meantime for Tech Talk, please jump over to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact and send us a message. Let us know what you would like us to cover or what you, uh, your, your tech question you would like answered. You're listening to Jeep Talk Show, the number one Jeep podcast. At my mom's house. From the mind of Nikki G. Hey, this is Nikki G, and uh, every New Year's, everybody comes up with New Year's resolutions, and uh, they try to keep them, and, you know, they, they, they don't go over so well. Uh, everybody says they, they want to lose weight, and they get a gym membership, and they go to the gym a handful of times, and that's it. 
I think it's important to make a New Year's resolution that you can keep. And uh, my New Year's resolution is I'm not going to become a vegetarian this year. And I can't promise to try, but I am going to try to try to do my laundry this year. (laughs) It's a tough one, but I think I can do it. All right, boys and girls, I'll chat you later. You have a good one. Bye. You can hear Wendy's eyes rolling. Uh, <laughs> Nikki G doing the laundry. I can see that happening. So Everything you know, turns pink and you, shrinks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Nikki G says the great thing, it makes everything else look bigger. So uh, the, I gotta, you have to wonder that if uh, the Jeep Mama, maybe one of her news, New Year's resolution was to lose weight, and she's winding up losing, what, 180, 200 pounds. I was going to say, <laughs> Almost a whole person there. Like, actually, it was a whole person. Is it too soon? Is I, should uh, I not I, do that? <laughs> for, for us, I'm sure her expectations are right on par. So. Oh, they're very low. I know she's she's been here a long time. <laughs> you must have needed this every day. I need it! It's the Deep Talk Show's must-have stuff. Pick of the week for your Jeep. And this week we have the High Lift Axe and Shovel Mount by Dominion Off-Road. This thing is really cool. You may know that I'm a big fan of stuff that takes care of multiple things at once. Combination radio and flashlight or a crimper and wire cutter combo. That's one of the best tools ever made. And who can argue with the ingenuity behind the infamous Spork? Yeah. Now, although finding something on our, for our Jeeps that does multiple things at once may be a little more difficult than tracking down a tactical Spork, I, however, have got one item that fits the bill. It does three things at once, and it doesn't even care what kind of Jeep you have. This is the High Lift Axe and Shovel Mount by Dominion Off-Road. That's right, this thing is a single mount that holds an axe, a shovel, all by using your High Lift jack. It works on roof racks, vertical mounts, horizontal mounts, mounts on tire carriers or hood mounts. These combinations are really endless. It comes with all the hardware and fasteners, uses genuine quick-fist clamps, and is powder-coated to prevent corrosion. What could be better? You know, I, I was kind of looking this stuff up, and I couldn't remember the details of it. And I just did a search on quick fists, and I I, I did not Uh-oh. approve oh. of what oh, I no. had, uh, what came up on my uh, browser. Oh no! Don't don't do something like that at work, people. That's just going to get you in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> quick fisting is something completely different. But uh, yeah, oh, that's a that is a great looking uh, little item there. And uh, I don't know what it is, Josh. I haven't used an axe in years and years and years. But I always like having them on. Uh, you never know when something needs to be uh, <laughs> cut or bludgeoned repeatedly. <laughs> or you got to, you know, open up a hotel door. Here's Johnny. You know, it's one of those type of things. Ah, there's a timely reference for you, Tony. <laughs> oh, that's no, a good I, one, though, because everybody knows a, that movie. Yeah, oh, yeah. There's a lot of uses for this thing. Honestly, um, from the website I found this on, uh, the they've got a bunch of user picks, you know, people, um, customer picks that they've uploaded to their site and whatnot. Uh, and people find all sorts of creative uses for this thing. So it doesn't have to hold just an axe, just a high lift jack, just a shovel. I mean, there's guys in there that, that have um, a high lift jack stored above their head on the roll cage in the Wrangler, have this attached to it, uh, but then have like a rifle or a shotgun mount um, mounted up there with there or, you know, something else. I mean, there's literally the combinations are endless, like I said. So check out the user pictures. We're going to have a link for you as well. And of course, now that you must have a high lift axe and shovel mount by Dominion Off-Road for yourself, we're going to make it easy for you. Just go to jeeptalkshow.com and look for the link in the show notes for episode 418. Get all the details and get one for yourself. 
Yeah, this really has nothing to do with what you're talking about here on this. Uh, this uh, must Perfect have item. segue. Yeah, yeah. Such but a professional. Have you have you seen the video where the uh, the guy has the high powered rifle and he's uh, using the top of his pickup as a, a place to shoot from? He doesn't have a bipod or anything, so it's it's very close to the top of the of the roof oh, of the pickup. I think I know which and one he's you're looking through about. the scope. You know. And he gets it all scoped in, takes his time, perfect trigger placement, squeezes around off, and a hole rips through the top of the yeah. of the truck. Because <laughs> you know the barrel is lower than the scope. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> and when you were talking about them putting the uh, the the weapons in the uh, um, up high in the roof, I was thinking if that goes off, that's not going to be very very much fun uh, with the, the hole. But yeah, at least he got a great video. You don't have to go back and look and see if uh, how many uh, how many likes he got on the video because it might have been worth uh, still in the truck and uh, doing that just for the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> number of views. <laughs> like coming up in a few minutes, we're going to hear about some events that are happening in your hometown and around the nation in Wheeling Wear. All right, Josh. I hope, uh, or I should say, I trust. You have something interesting to tell us about. God, <laughs> oh boy, do I ever. It's been a week, let me tell you. So, um, look, I, I told you I was going out on a, on a, on a wheeling run, uh, went out there, met up with, uh, with this group. I, the people who I was supposed to go with uh, canceled. So I was like, okay, well, there's people Bastards. up there. I know. I, was, you know, I said I was going to do this. There's probably other people that are expecting me or whatever. So I you know, headed out there, going to go do this. Um, didn't really know anybody. I said, like, okay, you know, there's, there's a few Jeeps and all that. Not a huge group or anything like that. Um, I was there, you know, very early, uh, probably a little early for some. Um, and uh, we, we headed out relatively soon, um, you know, aired down and got on the trail and all that sort of stuff. Um, the person that was behind me, though, I, 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 I wish wasn't. Ordinarily, when, when I'm out in, in groups and wheeling and stuff like that, I don't care if I'm running point, if I'm the tail gunner, or, you know, if I'm three Jeeps back. It, it really doesn't matter to me. I don't just care. Just getting out I'm, there. I'm exactly. I'm there to have fun, to get out on the trail, just, you know, get out and do some jeeping. So, um, but this time, however, I really wish there was somebody else behind me because this person was um, uh, a little hungover still. This was, uh, the, the run was called, you know, hangover run, annual hangover run. Happened oh, you January read my mind. Yeah, yeah. So, well, um, a lot of people's cures for hangover are different from a lot of other people's. And this yeah. person, I believe, used a little bit of what they call hair of the dog. Oh, I was thinking about bouncing around in the Jeep, you know, and throwing up and uh, getting rid of all that nasty stuff. <laughs> so, um, hair of the dog usually refers to, um, you know, taking a little bit of hair of the dog that bit you from the night before, um, which generally means if you were drinking beer the night before, then you have a beer for breakfast if you will and oh, then does, that it, does it need will, to be the same alcohol i thought it was any alcohol. i don't know i don't know i don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't dog. by those rules maybe a wolf yeah <laughs> <laughs> so uh I, apparently he was imbibing out on the trail which is something i really i don't condone and uh, we were coming down this one trail and there was a sharp left turn and very sharp i mean almost almost hairpin um and at that corner, you have to navigate through a couple of trees. And so I was coming down and I had to avoid a little bit of an obstacle in, in this one area and it set me up for this turn in the wrong way. So I had to stop, back up about three feet and then go through these two trees. Otherwise, I was going to put the front corner, front passenger corner of my Jeep into that tree. I wasn't really trying to do that. I've already gone through stuff like that before. I've got dents and dings and damage and all that other stuff. It's a trail rig, you know, what do you expect? But, you know, I was trying to be safe and all that. 
This guy comes up over the hill and he comes down this, and, and it's muddy, it's wet and everything. He must've been doing 25, 30 miles an hour. I don't know, way too effing fast. And he missed the back end of my Jeep. I S you not by an inch. I got out of my Jeep livid. I was effing pissed. And I was like, what the F are you doing? No, this does not happen. You can smell the beer on the guy. And it's just like, come on, man. No, I'm not trying to deal with this right now. You want to drink and wheel? Fine, whatever. I'm out. I wasn't going to be with this group anymore. The guy almost freaking ran into my Jeep, almost freaking totaled the rear end, almost put him and everybody else that was in a Jeep in danger. You know, I mean... I, I don't know what the hell he was thinking. I mean, they're all being rowdy and hooting and hollering and everything. Didn't take me seriously. And I was just like, all right, I want nothing to do with you guys. I'm out of here. And I left, to be honest. I know it's kind of a, a you know, you can call me a, a wussy or, you know, any other name in the book, whatever. But I wasn't trying to deal with that. And I really honestly wasn't trying to put myself in, 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 in harm's way like that, wheeling with a bunch of drunk idiots. So Why, why in the you world know, would you want to do that's all you, the body work wanna, that, that you'd have to go through? Well, look, man, I put a lot of money into my Jeep and yeah, yeah you know, if, exactly. if, if I rub it up against a tree or something like that, that's me. That's on me. You know, that's me messing up my Jeep. I don't need you plowing into the back end of my Jeep at, you know, 20 miles an hour coming down a hill because you're being stupid and drunk. No, well, screw the, that. The, this isn't a tree rub. This is probably a total, a total event. Oh no, it would have, it would have pushed, it would have, it would have likely totaled my rig. I mean, it, it would have clearly pushed his radiator into his engine. There's no doubt that it would have screwed both of our days all to hell. Uh, I think he and, did a good and job. And there would have had to have been a wrecker or something to come up and, and gotten at least one of these rigs off off the trail. So, you know, God forbid, you know, it, 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 taking aside that there luckily wouldn't have been any injuries, you know, I don't know what would have happened. You can never tell in those kinds of situations. Um, and honestly, you know, from my point of view, looking in the rear view mirror and seeing another Jeep come slamming down the hill, almost into my Jeep, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, there's probably some adrenaline going and, and everything else. And maybe he was only going, you know, maybe five or 10 miles per hour, but he was being reckless and he was drunk. And I don't have any patience for that. Well, I think you did a great job getting out of there. And it's a shame that the stuff like that happens. And I don't blame you. I mean, there's no telling what happened after you left. Uh, since yeah, you honestly. Since you didn't know I, anybody there, you probably won't get any kind no. of updates. So and I, I, I could I could ask around. I, I could get updates. But well, uh, honestly, I, I know I'm going to be a dick here, but I don't care. God, I, these, uh, these these people aren't my <laughs> friends. These these aren't these aren't people who I associate with, and and honestly, these are the kind of people that give Jeepers a bad name. God looks after little children and uh, drunks, so probably nothing yeah. happened. But yeah, but but I know what you mean. It's just uh, I don't blame you. Um, uh, it just doesn't make any sense to me at all. I mean, and, and I don't understand. Uh, the people still have to, they're still responsible for any damage or anything that they do to other people's vehicles on road oh, or off. Oh, God. I, I don't know. There was, there was a question even. I mean, just I hate to judge a book by its cover, but you look at somebody and it's like, I don't know if you've got insurance. Right. <laughs> it's one of those type of things. It's like, so, you know, it's even worse situation there. The guy probably wasn't insured or something like that. So, you know, it, oh, I would that rig may not have, from Sunday. It yeah. may, that rig may not have been. It may have been a trailer vehicle out there. Or they just didn't give a rat's ass, and, and I never drive it except through the trail. I'll just uh, drive it uninsured to the trail and go out there. And yeah, it very, very well uh, could have been an uninsured vehicle. Uh, and uh, your recourse would have been the same recourse that you had for uh, uh, suing that guy that stole your Honda and did all the <laughs> trashing up and stuff. Yeah, right. you, know, you got a judgment. Oh, I forgot about that income that you're getting from that because you did get oh, a judgment. Yeah. Oh, let me tell you. <laughs> 
But he told 25 me, year old, twenty-five year old kid has been in and out of jail his whole life and never had a job. Oh yeah, and money's coming in left and right. Let you're me telling tell you. me, you're telling me, meth addicts don't normally have cold, good job jobs and uh, don't play. Uh, they're not responsible enough to pay their uh, judgments. Uh, it's, that's the striking. Yeah, I know. I'm going to be 65 and a check's going to come in the mail. It's like, what the hell is this? <laughs> So uh, it gave me a lot of time uh, leaving early from from this run uh, to come back and, and mess with something that I'd honestly been planning on doing for years, a piece of armor that I have had for, for literally years, uh, Tony. You're that, as bad um, as me about ins- getting I know, stuff I and know. installing it. I, yeah, I know. And it's because if one thing happens, something else gets in front of something else, life happens, you know, whatever. And uh, whatever, I had this this piece of armor uh, sitting for for a long time, and it was a purchase immediately after I cracked open my transfer case a number of years back out uh, <laughs> playing on some rocks. Yeah. And uh, well, so this is this is a company that's not around anymore, and they actually haven't been around for years. Appalachian Armor is the name of the company, and I've got their transfer case skid plate for the Cherokee uh, set up for the uh, 231 or 242. And uh, this is an amazing piece of armor, to tell you the truth. And I honestly wish that Appalachian Armor was still around because my impressions of their product here um, on, on this, and granted, mind you, this is a used piece of armor, something that has been on another trail rig that has gone, that had a lot of scratches and, and, and gouges and stuff in it. I did have to, uh, one of the mounting points, I had to kind of put in the vise and get kind of creative with a, with a hammer and stuff and kind of pound up because it was, wasn't quite lining up perfect. So I, I, I had to bend some stuff back into place a little bit, but again, this is used armor, kind of one of those things that comes with a, you know, par for the course as it were. So, um, but once I got this thing up there and, and got the fitment up and, and got it installed and everything, and really the installation was, was easy. I had all the hardware and everything as well. I had to drill some pilot holes and, and, uh, some, um, you know, nice big self-tapping bolts and everything that screw into both the uh, the body the uni, uh, unibody rail as well as the cross member uh, itself it bolts right up to the cross member um, and and creates a nice flush even ledge and uh, I hit it with a wire wheel some Scotch Brite threw some primer and paint on it man the thing looks brand new uh, and I am really impressed with the with the fitment and the installation of, the, of this thing so um, Appalachian Armor if you're out there listening boy we sure miss you because you made some good stuff it's you just just beautiful I just saw the one picture. And uh, we'll we'll try to share that on the uh, the show notes. But uh, it, I just saw that one picture, and I thought it was brand new. I didn't realize it was used, and I didn't. I thought you had just got it. I, no, I, actually, I chuckled earlier because it was funny. Like uh, you're not like the, the the guy coming down the 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 trail at uh, 65 miles an hour, almost hitting you. I like adding miles to the the story. It, it makes it more interesting. And uh, <laughs> it's not like that guy. You actually did something that you shouldn't have done, uh, wheeling without a uh, skid over your to, to protect your transfer case, and you broke it. And you said, "Oh, well, I need to get some armor for that." You went out and got some. And uh, you do have something on there now, though, because I, I remember you did uh, put something uh, to protect the uh, transfer case after that, didn't you? No, I I, I thought about uh, picking up just like a stock skid plate. Yeah, you know, that's the, what I thought you did. Angle piece. Yeah, I, I I might have, but then I found something that was a lot better, so I probably sold it right off or something like oh, that. Okay. Uh, donated it to another jeeper, that sort of thing. I think that's actually what I did. Uh, one of my other Cherokee buddies um, I didn't have you know any any sort of uh, underbelly armor, so I was like, here, we got to get you something at least. Right. Here you go. Yeah. Um, so and I had this the, the Appalachian armor piece sitting on the side, so uh, you know it's no skin off my back. Um, uh, so that was, it was probably one of those things. Uh, and then of course I sat on it for two or three years and, and, and didn't do anything with it. Um, but of course the Jeep sat for a while as well. And, right. and so there was a lot of, a lot of water under the bridge where really the Jeep didn't do anything. It was in, in the midst of getting some, um, uh, engine rebuilding going on. 
Um, but uh, but now that this is on, you're right. I, I was playing in the rocks. Um, I, I do a lot of rock crawling. You know, a lot of people are in the mud. A lot of people are just into trails, uh, snow or sand or whatever. I play in the rocks. And uh, and I was uh, playing on some rocks, probably a little bigger than I probably should have been in. <laughs> but uh, you know how it goes. And and it was also raining. Uh, and so it was uh, a lot of traction was not where it was supposed to be. I was not where I was supposed to be. Uh, and I, I lost my line, end up sliding into, uh, into a, into a situation where I ended up cracking open my transfer case on, on a big ass rock. Um, uh, you know, S happens out on the trail thing, you know, so, um, make the best of it and you do what you got to do. I, you know, rebuilt the transfer case, um, uh, put a new one in there and then rebuilt that one actually. Um, uh, and then got some armor for it. So that's where we're at now. And, uh, I honestly, I can't wait to, to get on the trail and, and not that I weren't really want to you know, put this thing to the test, but, uh, but at the same time, uh, I kind of want to get out there and, and go play in some rocks again. So I remember when I was looking at that, uh, that skid plate picture that you sent me, uh, yeah. that that was like, like I said earlier, I thought it was brand new and, uh, it actually, uh, I think in the, the message you sent, you said where it was from. So I knew it wasn't JCR, but it, it reminded me very much of uh, JCR's type of work, very clean, very well fitted, uh, you know, just very professional looking. And then, yeah. and, and then the next thing that came to mind was, is <laughs> is he going to be able to use that with his long arms? Uh, now, I know you don't have the center section. You just have the long arm uh, radius, I believe, uh, from uh, uh, Ironman4x4fab.com. But do you think you're going to be able to use that skid uh, with uh, when you have the center section that you either buy or build? I, I do. Uh, I, I believe that the worst case scenario is that I may have to do a, some slight modifications. And I, I'm, you know, I'm no stranger to doing a little bit of fabrication work and stuff like that. So if, if I've got to do something to where I have to like cut a lip off, uh, weld on a tab or something like that, it's not the end of the world. I've actually got scrap metal in the garage for this sort of stuff and then the welder and, and, and all that other stuff. I really wish I had a plasma cutter or oh, you know, something yes. like that. But <laughs> Plasma table, <laughs> but no, CNC, yeah, you know, this goes on and on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, but no, it's, it's not going to be the end of the world if things don't line up perfectly. This was designed to work, you know, without, um, uh, or, you know, with, with the you know, factory stuff. Now I've got, uh, frame, uh, frame stiffeners to put on. This will still work with that. It's just going to drop things down a little bit, you know, a quarter inch or so. Um, uh, you know, I've got the, the, a different center, uh, cross member that's going to be going in. I don't think it's the end of the world again. I think that's something that I can still incorporate and make this work with and all that sort of stuff. So, Again, worst case scenario, I might have to do a little bit of modifications. Um, it may not look quite as pretty uh, as it does right now, but in the end, I think it's going to function just the same. Oh, and you didn't mention uh, trussing the uh, Dana 30, which was my opening joke. Well, very good. So um, <laughs> actually, yeah, this is one of the things that I'm, that I'm looking at is after I got under there with this cross member, because it's kind of one of the things that I'm checking off the list. I've, I've got uh, um, uh, Moab in mind. Um, I'm planning on, on hitting up Easter Jeep Safari this year. And so, the, you know, just sort of checking off the boxes. And one of the other things that's on, on the list is my long arms, is whether or not I need, uh, whether or not I want to have the long arms done uh, in time for Moab. And, and sort of a list of things that would happen would be the Dana 30 truss, the long arm cross member, and the eight and a quarter disc brake swap. All would happen all at once. Or do I start paying, you know, um, uh, or, or do I uh, pay for my uh, regearing labor? I've got all my gears already. I've got all my installation kits. I've got even a, a new locker for the rear end uh, to throw in. So I've got everything ready for to, for a full regear. I just got to pay for it, uh, pay for the labor to do it because I want to have a professional um, get in there and who's got the proper setup tools uh, and the experience of of doing a full regear. 
Um, so, and I've got a buddy who's going to be, um, hooking me up with uh, another friend at, at a company that he used to work with who does this for a living. So, you know, I'm getting, I'm getting the, the homie hookup as it was, but it's still going to be 400 bucks out of pocket. And it's not going to be quite as much to do a long arm cross member, um, to do my, uh, my frame stiffeners, which I already have, um, and to do the Dana 30 truss and, and, and which I don't have. And of course, the eight and a quarter disc brake swap, which I don't have anything for. But the reason why I'm including that in there is because once I tear down my eight and a quarter to do the to do the gear swap, it's going to be the perfect time to address the brakes. I mean, I'm going to be in there and and messing oh, with the bearings you're the damn and all that king other stuff while, well. you're, so, while I'm in there. <laughs> I know, I know. So it's it's one of those things of where I'm really kind of at this crossroads of all right, do I c- cross off all this stuff on this list or do I just regear? And and so I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of stuck a little bit. I kind of have an idea of which way I'm leaning uh, as far as you know overall performance. What I'm what I'm going to get out of this thing and what I have coming up in the near future. Look, my Jeep wheels pretty good as it is. Long arms are just going to make it better. The frame stiffeners are just going to make it better. All that other stuff. Do I need that right now? Do I need that for Moab? Yeah. I know, probably not. I know. You know I, uh, I know you're not asking my opinion, but I'm going to give it to you anyway because that's who I am. Uh, <laughs> I think you are going to see the biggest benefit, uh, crawl ratio, etc., because you already have a capable rig. It's this is going to make. I think this will make the biggest difference is having the the, the 456 gears in there. Uh, it will be amazing. The dis- the difference will be amazing. Uh, I, I don't know what your overall crawl ratio is, but with the, with the Atlas that I have in Not there, good. <laughs> I have to, yeah, yeah. But I mean, with the Atlas I have in there, which I think I got a, a 3.8 to one, uh, ratio, uh, Atlas, I have to stand on the brake to keep it from moving when I, when I come to a stop, whenever it's in four low, uh, it's just amazing. And it, it, it's the 456 gears. It's the. Uh, 3.8 to one transfer case, of course, the AW4 transmission, and uh, but but driving on the road, that peppiness, uh, you can still go 80 miles an hour down the road, uh, three at 3,000 RPM. Um, that's based on 33 inch tires. I I I, I just I am so I'm glad I did the 456. I'm going to be very sorry. I had the yeah. 456s is what I went with. Right. Um, and, I I, so. and I've got 30 33s right now. Possibility of 35s in the future. Um, the the 456s will be per, will be perfect for that. Yep. Um, uh, but, uh, but you're right. You know, it's, it's, it, I'm really stuck on the, on the, uh, on the disc brake though, the disc brake conversion for the rear. Um, since it's, you're right. You know, I'm the king of while you're in there, everything's going to be torn apart. It's going to be the perfect opportunity, um, to, to do this. And, and even though I don't have any of the parts, I think I can still keep it, make that happen at the very least. Um, along with the re-gear, uh, if I if I source everything from the junkyard, obviously I'm going to get new pads. But you know yeah. everything else, I think I can I can source from the junkyard and save myself some money. So this is what you should do: the uh, transfer case armor that you you bought and kept for three years before you put it on. Yeah, you'll probably do the same thing with the the disc brakes. So it'll make you feel better if you get the the re-gearing if I done. Get the parts. Wait two or three years and then do it, and then you'll go. Well, you know, it's been a it's been I two or three done years. That a long time ago. Yeah, <laughs> and then then put it on. But see, the thing that gets me is you're talking about having a professional set up the gears. 
how are, are you going to pay them to install the the disc brakes on the eight and a quarter? No, no, that'd be one of the things where where I would have um, the Jeep completely torn down. I would have the axles out, the differentials oh um, apart, and everything like that. And all he's going to be uh, be coming over to do is the actual gear install and setup. Oh, I thought um, you were going to take this to a shop. No, no. So um, I, I've got it, and, and he's got all the tools and everything, and and he does gear setups for a four-wheel drive shop. It's, it's what he does. Right. And he does it on the side as well. Uh, that's his side gig. Yeah. You know, obviously, if you're good at one thing and you can do it on the side, make some money as well. So that's what I'm doing. So yeah, I could pay twice as much and take it into a shop, or I could have, you know, I'm getting the 50% discount here um, and have the guy come to me and get the, the okay. same quality. This makes a lot more out. sense to me now. There, I, I can see your quandary because, you know, I was looking at the logic behind the steps that were going to be required, and, and there's it doesn't make any sense to to worry about that because unless you're going to be able, to, unless they're going to allow you to work in the shop uh, while while they're doing the, uh, the, the setup, yeah. no, you know, okay, going, so I, yeah, nobody I could, does I that. See. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I didn't, I, yeah, I didn't explain things. Uh, That's well all right. You don't, there, so. you don't have to. Uh, but uh, that that was my confusion. I just assumed so, that everybody knows what's going on in my head. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thank God they don't. Uh, but uh, I know that's the case with me. Uh, so yeah, that makes sense. But uh, let me ask you this: Is mm-hmm. if you, I still think that the 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 getting the four fifty six gears installed uh, is the way to go. Do you think you can get this uh, the disc brakes in time to be able to do all this at once before I the Moab trip? No. That's the other thing. Is, that is, should is be your like, decision. Is is how what what can I do in the given time that I have? Um, that that's 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 another big thing. Is is that I kind of want this to be done about a month ahead of time because I kind of oh, yeah, want to get absolutely. the shakedown run <laughs> at the very <laughs> least. Get some you know a good five hundred or uh, you know uh, five hundred or so miles freeway miles um, with with everything done. Um, that way, if there is anything any kinks issues or whatever i've got time to deal with it get it taken care of uh or, or whatever needs to happen um so it, it, yes time frame is a very big thing here so i've i've kind of got a little bit set aside i've got a little bit of a budget for this it's just a matter of what i pull the trigger on and when so um yeah it's it's if if i pull the trigger on on the gears like say in the next two weeks or something like that i need to have the parts for the brake swap uh, pretty much ready to go at yeah, that point. Yeah. Now, yeah, my Jeep isn't my daily driver. And honestly, it could stay in the garage for the next three months, completely torn apart, and it's not going to affect my life at all. It'll affect my mood. <laughs> but, you know, walking to the garage, I'm like, oh, I want to wheel you. Um, but no, it's uh, one of those things to where I can take my time with this up to a certain point. So, I, you know, I could have him come in here next weekend, even uh, a couple weeks, whatever. Um, and do the gear swap, and then I could take the next three months doing um, the the disc brake conversion and, and everything else. <laughs> you get the now. I know you've you've been in vehicles with uh, with better gears than the 355s that you have. Oh yeah. But oh, yeah. I personally don't think I could go that long before trying out the 456 gears. Especially I've had I've had the parts. I've been thinking about this for a long time. If you can do that, more power to you. Yeah, right. <laughs> just, it's look at it. It's just it needs to. Well, I, I need to drive it. I don't even need to wheel. I just want to go Tony, on Tony, see the you, acceleration. <laughs> who do you know who's been sitting on a set of long arms for five years? That's true. There's not, I'm probably the only jeeper on the planet. Yeah, but the but <laughs> so the, the, the hold up, patience. the whole this is different though. The hold up there is you got to put put down a pretty good sized chunk of change to get that center section. 
the belly pan area uh, to hook yeah. them up to where, where this is you're going to be done the 456 gears are going to be installed set up ready to go and then all you have to do is you know put the wheels on it and drive it so this is going to be different this isn't going to be you know nine hundred dollars you got to spend before you can use something now uh, you know i've had a, a set of long arms since july uh that are, is ready to go all i have to do is take the time to install it my biggest problem is uh, i don't have a welder and i don't weld and i have to make time uh take some time off to actually drive over and uh, get somebody that, that will weld it uh to weld it up for me so you know it, it's not that big a deal to install it's just uh, I can't do it whenever I want to do it. I have to schedule it with somebody else. Yeah, time and logistics are, are definitely logistics. a factor. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. So that that's that's my conundrum, man. A lot of stuff on the plate right now. Gears. A lot of stuff. Uh, yeah. yeah, gears, 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 <laughs> gears. Going on. You, you, so, go, you uh, take it off road. I mean, no matter where you go, and you know this, gears are going to be the biggest thing that you're going to do. All this other stuff, the trust that would be nice. I know, but I chances are you're not going to break up. anything. I just don't want to wheel Moab without long arms and a, and a little bit beefier of a of a Dana thirty. Do, so. you, do you think this isn't going to be the only time you're you're not going? Well, <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't say that right. Do I, you think I, this is the only time you're going? Okay, because I, I honestly don't know. You're not going to break that Jeep in in Moab uh, without the, without the truss and without the long arms. Just you know, wanting the long well, arm. And, that's and honestly, I understand. Honestly. There's a very good chance that I'm going to be going to Moab and I'm not going to wheel because uh, my primary goal going to Moab is is going to be content creation for the show. It's right. I'm going there on behalf of the show. Um, and so I'm not going there as Josh to go wheel. I'm going there as Josh from the Jeep Talk Show. No, no, no. Um, it's Josh from the Jeep Talk Show. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I may end up spending my entire time there just BSing with other Jeepers and, and people from the industry and stuff like that. And I may not end up getting a whole lot of trail time, if any at all. Now, I'm going to be down there with my Jeep representing the Jeep Talk Show just because the thing's going to be you know, all Jeep talk showed out and everything, you know, big stickers and, and all, all that sort of stuff. So I want the representation down there. And I certainly don't want to be the guy that shows up with a, you know, a Volkswagen or a Honda to a Jeep show. Uh, so <laughs> you know, regard, regardless of how many Jeep shirts I'm wearing and, and if I got a mic in my hand or not, um, you know, it's, it's, it's still, I, I want to represent properly. So um, yeah, there, there is a lot of stuff here that is entirely up in the air. Um, that's all going to be sorted out here in the next coming few weeks. So that's, that's why I'm kind of, a little flustered about all this because I got so much coming up and, and Moab is so far away uh, yet so close. Right. And at the same time. Gears. I still say gears, but, but anyway, we'll see, uh, we'll see what happens and, and you'll have to keep listening to find out uh, what Josh decides to do and how it worked out for him. Would you like to join in on the campfire side chat? We'd sure love to have you pull up a chair, crack a beverage, go to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact and find out all the ways you can reach out to us and join in on the fun. Maybe you should have checked the Jeep weather with Mitch. Happy New Year, Jeeper. Mitch here. Today is the 3rd of January, 2020, and it's time for your weekend going topless Jeep weather report. New year means new challenges and new resolutions to be broken. Let's start some of your new year, new challenges in locations that are known for people going topless at. First in is Woodstock, Connecticut, with beautiful views and hiking. Go topless this weekend in the rain Friday and Saturday at 42 degrees and slush showers on Sunday at 34. Next, let's take that top off and cruise in Niles, Illinois. Niles is just outside of Chicago and has the Leaning Tower of Niles. 
And that isn't a piece of joke. Weather this weekend in Niles is 37 cloudy Friday, 35 with snow on Saturday, and 41 and cloudy on Sunday. Now, if you like taking your top off in a more secluded area, then go check out Sandstone, Minnesota. Just an hour north of Minneapolis, St. Paul, with lots of trails and wilderness to be topless in. Weather there will be cloudy all weekend at 25 Friday, 26 Saturday, and 34 on Sunday. Hey, at least it's warming up over the weekend. Let's find a place a little bit further south. Okay, got one for you. Birmingham, Alabama. Alabama has lots of great places to go topless throughout the state, but here has some good campgrounds and hiking trails. Rain on Friday at 62, then sun with 53 Saturday and 55 on Sunday. That's a bit more doable, and you won't freeze your chesticles off. Cheaper. Wherever you're going topless in this weekend, just don't forget to use hashtag Deep Talk Show on social media for us to see those pictures. If you have any suggestions or want to know your local weather and upcoming episode, go to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact in order to find all the ways to get a message to me. I'm Mitch. Always a great weekend to go topless if you're brave enough. Just go topless responsibly. Hey, thanks for that, Mitch. We love hearing about the uh, the Jeep topless weather report. And of course, if you guys didn't already figure out, that's what it's all about. Finding out where you can go topless around the nation. And Josh, I got to say that uh, that promo you created, that lightning, that that crackle, <laughs> that zzz, it's like if you've ever been close enough to a lightning strike to hear the static little thing before the great big huge boom it's scary as hell because you know you're in the danger zone you know that you're about to die (laughs) (laughs) and and that sound effect that you got for the lightning is just perfect it's like yeah that's actually a combination of like two or three so uh, yeah that's Pardon the pun, but it's a it's a big flashback for the one of those few times I've been that close to lightning. It's electrifying. <laughs> <laughs> now let's get to some events from around the world and maybe even in your neck of the woods. Don't forget to let us know about an event that you are planning or involved with or just volunteering with. Just go to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact and click and fill out our wheeling wear form. That form has all the pertinent information, as long as you fill it out right, and it comes straight to us. We'll get that out to the masses. It is that time of year again, happening January 31st through February 9th. This is the big one, folks. King of the Hammers is back. The annual King of the Hammers. This is a world-class off-road racing event that features pretty much vehicles of every class, from Jeeps just like yours and mine, to those crazy, insane Ultra 4 racing buggies. So for more information on this event happening in Johnson Valley, as it does every year down in California, head over to ultra4racing.com. Coming up February 9th, we have 7P Overland presenting their Foundation Overland and Expeditionary Driving Course. If you want to get into expedition wheeling and overlanding, that sort of stuff, not sure if your vehicle is equipped right or if you have the skills, this is going to be the the, the course that you want to go through to determine whether or not you're set up properly. All happening in Moab, Utah. Couldn't be a better place February 9th. For more information, more events, and links, visit the JeepTalkShow.com website for this episode. That's it for the show for this week, my fellow Jeeper. Until next week, be sure to interact with us regularly on Facebook. We're almost sure you won't end up on a watch list by doing so. And as always, thank you for listening to the world's most downloaded Jeep podcast. Now, weren't you meddling kids and that pesky dog, I would have gotten away with it, too. Podcasting since 2010.